Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We're starting a new series today uh, called Daddy Issues, and we're going to take this series throughout the month of June, and this series is all about uh, the way we view our Heavenly Father. Uh, This term, Daddy Issues, it comes from, or in today's vernacular, it's kind of a slang term for typically a woman or a young lady who has uh, dysfunction in her relationships, especially with men because of dysfunction or baggage she's carried from her relationship with her father. And, um, and, and what we see is that the, the truth is that all of us, if, we're, if we have issues with our earthly father, can have issues in relationships today, whether you're a man or a woman. Uh, and this idea is not a new idea. It was begun back in, um, back in around the turn of the tw- 20th century. A guy named Sigmund Freud and a contemporary of his named Carl Jung, they uh, began doing research on this idea of uh, our relationship with our dad impacting future relationships. And, and Sigmund Freud had this thought that mainly it was guys that dealt with this, uh, but Carl Jung is the one who said, no, 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 it's men and women have this issue. Um, and, and what they, what they hypothesized was, um, if you have good relationships with your dad, then you will have good relationships and future relationships. That that carries itself out, that there is a sense of security and emotional well-being that, that we have in our relationship with our father that helps set us up for success in future relationships. And they hypothesize the opposite was true as well. If I have a bad relationship or maybe no relationship with my dad, it's going to carry itself out or bear itself out in other relationships in my life. And so as I I was thinking about this literally over a year ago, I was thinking about this idea and I thought, if it's true in psychology, if it's true from from a socio perspective, then is it true in our spiritual life as well? Does a relationship with our father impact the relationship with our heavenly father? And the more I thought about this idea, the more I realized how many people I've talked to in my life that their view of God was skewed or maybe even broken. And if you boil it down, one of the reasons it is is because they've carried a a view of their father into their relationship with their heavenly father. And it's easy to do for good and bad. And I will say this, um, some of us have daddy issues and it affects our relationship with God. Because we have a broken relationship with a parent, with our dad, because we can't view him in a healthy way, but maybe we were a victim of some sort, maybe he did something, maybe he wasn't there, but whatever the case is, it's shading our view of our Heavenly Father now. And what this series is all about is helping us work through that and helping us get to the place where we can see God for who he really is. Um, a, a friend of mine there's a pastor in the South, and he does a lot of work in state prison systems. And so um, he works in both male and female correctional facilities. And I asked him one time, I said, Jesse, what are, what are the common grounds you see? What are the things you see in the work you do with people in the prison system? And he said, without hesitation, he said, families. And he said, more specifically, dads. He said, Mel, I've never met a man on death row that doesn't have an issue with his father. Now, this is an anecdotal I mean, this is not scientific. I'm just telling you one man's experience. But he said, I've seen this over and over and over and over again. 
that the relationship with your dad is so important. And he said, most of the people I do work with in the prison system don't have a healthy relationship with their father. If you want to take this another step further, again, this is anecdotal. This, this plague that we see in our nation of public shootings, mass shootings, if you look at the person who perpetuates this crime, this, this, um, this person who acts out, um, one of the things you see many times is that they come from a single-parent home. They come from a home where maybe there wasn't a father figure in a healthy way. Now, I want to stop real quickly and say this. If you're here today and maybe you're a product of a single family home or a single parent home, uh, you are not doomed to that. Our God is redemptive. So this is a principle. It's not a law. So a principle is generally true, but it isn't always true. A law says this is the way it is. So this is a principle we see, but God is redemptive. So maybe you're, you're in a single parent home. You're grow, you've grown up in a single parent home. You're not doomed to fall into these categories. Maybe you're here and you are a single parent. I want to encourage you, your kids are not doomed to this. God is a redemptive God. God is a God that's all about making broken situations whole, and he can do that. But what I'm saying is there's a pattern in the world we live in, and what we have to do is understand that sometimes that pattern plays itself out in our relationship with our Heavenly Father as well. So just like there are bad patterns, I will tell you there's good patterns as well. Let me read you some statistics uh, from a couple of different... uh, studies that were done. One was from the Family Involvement Research Alliance, and the other was the U.S. Department of Education. Uh, What it says is, both of these studies say the same thing, that having a healthy dad in the home positively impacts. I don't think anybody would disagree with this statement, but this this bears it out. And it says this, uh, in these studies, they find that babies, even babies from birth, were more, with more involved fathers, were more likely to be emotionally secure, confident in new situations, and eager to explore uh, their surroundings than children without a healthy father in their life. As they grow, they tend to be more sociable. Toddlers with involved fathers are better problem solvers. And by the the time they reach the age of three, they typically have a higher IQ than children without involved fathers. So what we see here is there's an emotional impact, but there's also a cognitive impact on on children as well. Uh, They're more ready to start school and can deal with the stress of being away from home all day better than children with less involved fathers. In school, they perform better academically and are 43% more likely to get mostly A's in school. What we see is that this bears itself out even in high school and when they get to college. Kids with a healthy father in their life are more likely to attend college and more likely to get higher education degrees as well. So they're going to go on and get and further their education than people without a healthy father in their life. Girls show signs of higher self-esteem as they get into high school and are less likely to get pregnant. Boys show less impulsivity, uh, less aggression, and are more self-directed. What we see is that even into adulthood, what they've discovered is adults who have had fathers involved in their lives are more likely to be tolerant and understanding, have supportive social networks made up of close friends, and are more likely to have long-term successful marriages. So what we see is It's important to have a healthy father, not just in the home for that season that you're in the home, but there's an impact of that that carries on through the rest of your life. So just like not having a father in your home can help impact how you view the rest of your life, helps determine some of your outcomes in some ways, it helps predict how you might perform, having a healthy father in your home can help set us up for success. 
And so the view of our Father, how we interact with our Father, is very, very important to how we live our lives. Because if we're going to be honest, as adults, our friends and our marriage are pretty important things, right? And what we see is having a healthy dad in the home can make a big, big, big difference. Um, you know, one of the problems facing our nation today isn't, it's not the same as what it was when Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung um, came up with this father complex idea. Um, at that time, there was a very patriarchal society and people were almost crushed by the, the patriarchy, if I can say it that way. And so there was an influence there, but today it's different. And in fact, instead of be having an overbearing kind of father presence in society. Today, it's quite the opposite. Today, we're not dealing with too much of a father presence. We're dealing with a lack of a father presence. We're, we're dealing with a crisis of fatherlessness in our nation, both physically and spiritually, I believe. And this isn't something that's new. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. He was trying to correct them on some stuff that they were doing, and he says this in verse 14, of 1 Corinthians 4, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. One of the interpretations of this passage in another version says, though you have 10,000 teachers, you don't have many fathers. And what we see in the church today is there are lots of teachers, but there aren't many fathers. Um, teaching is really, really important. Uh, hearing the word of God is really important. Do not let me downplay that at all. But what I want you to understand is you can get the word of God lots of places. In fact, with the internet, you can log on, you can find preaching all over the world of people that are better preachers than I am. So you might listen to somebody that's a big name of a large church in some other part of the United States, but what you cannot get from them is a father. And what Paul says is, hey, you don't lack teachers. You got plenty of teachers. What you lack is a father. And what Paul was saying is, I'm not trying to be your daddy. What he was saying is, what you need is someone who will correct you in love. Because Teaching is one thing. Knowing stuff is one thing. Having someone in your life that will guide you through your junk is quite another. And what he says is you don't need more knowledge. What you need is someone to help navigate the season that you are in. And that's one of the reasons, and this seems strange to say this, I'm not an old man at all, but I see myself as the father of this house. Um, I see my wife as the mother of this house. That, that a healthy house has both an involved mom and an involved dad, that it's not one or the other. In fact, at the turn of the 20th century, the view of the father was that he was not that important in the influence of the life of a family. But what we've come to realize now is that it takes both a mom and a dad to see a healthy family come up. And so that's one of the reasons we approach things the way we do is because we feel like we're the parents of this house in many ways. And the truth is we need spiritual fathers. We need people who will love us enough to tell us no and love us enough to help us see where maybe we aren't quite right. We all need them. I need them. I have spiritual fathers in my own life as well. And so what Paul's saying is the problem isn't teaching. The problem is parenting. We don't have spiritual fathers. And so my hope is that through this series, we're going to see 
God is our heavenly father and what that means. And as we see him in a healthier way, it'll allow us to have some spiritual fathers in our lives. And let me just say for the record too, that doesn't have to be me. That's why I love small groups, because my hope is you get involved in a small group and you got a spiritual father in that small group that can help lead you and speak into your life and encourage you and bless you and do the things that a father's supposed to do. That's my hope through this. Um, so just like I said earlier, there's this point that we reach that I think we understand. Maybe we've got some baggage with our parents, with our dad. Maybe we've got some daddy issues, right? Maybe that's influencing the way we see God. Uh, maybe you're here today and your dad was angry. And so as a result of your dad being angry all the time, you had to walk around on eggshells in your home. You couldn't do too much. You, you had to be careful what you said, what you did, because he could lose it at a moment's notice. And maybe you've carried a little bit of that baggage into your relationship with God, and you thought, man, I, I just I don't want to make him angry. I, I just, man, if he loses, if he gets upset, I just, I don't know. Maybe you're here today and, and your dad was distant, Maybe he wasn't around very much. Maybe he had the title of father, but he didn't really parent very well. Maybe he was around, but he was an absentee father when he was there. He was stuck in front of a television or stuck doing his own thing, and he just didn't invest in you. And maybe for you, the way you got your dad's attention was to perform. Well, if I just excel on the athletic field or on the court, maybe if I excel in the classroom, I'll get my dad's attention, I'll win his approval. And some of us carry that into our relationship with God, and we think, if I just do good enough, maybe I'll be pleasing. Maybe he'll love me. Maybe. And this is a false dichotomy. What we have to understand is our earthly father and our heavenly father couldn't be more different. No matter how good your earthly father is, our heavenly father is so much better. So, as a result, sometimes we have this baggage. And so what we're going to do is I want to walk through a story with you today that Jesus told. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to walk through a passage of Scripture together. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, but the story I want to walk with you through today is from Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. And this is a story that we looked at um, back in January. We did a series called New Year, New Yens. And we were just talking about what it means to be free in your life and that God desires for us to live in freedom. And so we talked about the story in one of the weeks. And so if you want to, you can go back and listen to that. There'll be some similarities, but we're really looking at it from a little bit of a different perspective today. Um, and so we're going to start in Luke chapter 15. And Jesus is telling these stories, but he's telling these stories to a group of people that have showed up. Uh, some of them were, well, they were all Jewish, but some of them were religious leaders. Some of them were just bystanders. Some of them were his followers. And he's trying to help them understand who God is and how he loves his people. And so we'll start in Luke 15, 11, And it says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey in, into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, I don't know how you grew up, but if I went to my father my still living father, and said, Dad, give me what I deserve. He probably would. <laughs> Punch me right in the throat, right? That's what you deserve, my boy. That would be it. So I can't imagine the audacity of this young man to go to his father 
the boldness of, of this young man to go to his father and say, give me what I deserve. The thing that's coming to me when you die, I'm not waiting. Give it to me now. And he does. And when he gets it, then he goes off to a far country. And in some verses, some interpretations say he sojourns. So he, he literally leaves the country, goes off to live his, his life that he couldn't live with his dad because his dad was holding him back, was a tyrant, whatever the view of this young man was. But what we see is, number one, he demands in his inheritance. He says, I want what I want. I want what I deserve. And his father gives it to him. Then he leaves home, and he probably severs relationship. So in one fell swoop, it's all over with. This guy is finally out from under the, the clutches of his dad. And see, one of the problems is he had an inaccurate view of who his father really was. And we'll find this out later in the story. But this kid looked at his dad and he thought, man, this guy's holding me back. He has expectations on me that no human should have. And, and if I was out of this house, my life would be so much better. Because he is, he is a tyrant. So he gets his inheritance and he leaves. I think so many problems in our life begin with us having an inaccurate view of who our father is. Now, again, you might have a totally accurate view of who your earthly father is, but I think one of the problems is we have an inaccurate view of who our spiritual, our heavenly father really is. We, we think sometimes, man, he's out to get me. He doesn't love me. If he loved me, he would bless me. If he loved me, he would answer this prayer. And that leads us to all kinds of unhealthy places. When we have a view of our heavenly father, who he really is, it is life-giving and it's affirming. But this young man, he couldn't see who his father really was. And so he leaves. In verse 14, it says, And when he had spent everything, so he squandered his whole fortune, a severe famine arose in that country and began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So I want to remind you of the setting. This is Jesus, a Jewish man, telling a group of Jewish men and women about another Jewish family, okay? So everyone in this context is Jewish. Now, according to Jewish law for their dietary purposes, they were not supposed to eat pork. In fact, they're not even supposed to touch a pig uh, because they're unclean. But yet here this young man was, who I'm sure was raised in this story, he was raised in a way that he understood the laws, he understood the precepts, he understood why you didn't do that, because for one, if you did, you were unclean. And so he understood, hey, you don't ever do this. But yet he gets to a place in his life where he has run, he's cut off relationship, he views his father in an accurate way, and so as a result, he's in a place where he squandered everything, and now he's desperate, and he finds himself doing something that he never thought he would do. Um, because if you told this young man, you know, as he's getting his inheritance to leave the house, you said, hey, guess what, kid? You know, it's not going to be too long. You're going to be feeding pigs. You're going to be in the pig pen with the pigs, wishing you could eat the food they have. He probably would have cursed you, said, you're crazy. That could never happen to me. I'm better than that, right? But he, here he is. And if we're going to be honest with ourselves, don't we do this sometimes? Haven't you found yourself at that place at some point in your life where you thought, I could never do what they did? And then something happens in our life. We make a series of bad decisions. And before you know it, we're in the pig pen wanting to eat what the pig is eating. Thinking, how did I get here? How did, how did my situation turn out the way it turned out? This is not the way the story was supposed to go. But what he did is he lowered his standards because he was desperate. 
And this is what happens when we get desperate. We will adjust the narrative of the story. We will do whatever we have to do to make sure that what we need is taken care of. So he's desperate. Verse 17 says this, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I love this because it says he came to his senses. He had this, this moment of clarity. He had this moment of awareness where he goes, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? I'm starving to death, but in my father's house, there's, there's plenty of food. And he saw some question about his father because he says, I, I don't know if I could go back and be the son, but I, I could go back and be a, a hired hand. I could be a servant in his house because even a servant has enough bread. And it's amazing because he has this moment of clarity and he begins to see his father a little differently. He goes, well, maybe, maybe my dad wasn't so bad after all. I mean, yeah, he wasn't nice and he did this and this, but you know what? I mean, his servants always had food to eat. And he has this moment where the light bulb comes on. And when there's a light, it seems like it changes the situation. Um, some of you have kids and you understand this. Um, have you ever walked into your kid's room at night? Maybe you go in to check on them. The lights are out. You can't see anything. And, um, and you know the room's messy. But then when the sun comes up the next day and the light is turned on in the room, you're like, <gasps> what is going on in here? Have you ever had that moment before? If you have children, you have. I know you have. Um, I've had this moment with my kids before. And it's amazing what a difference the illumination makes. You turn on the light, the sun comes up, you can see what's really going on. And I think in this moment, this young man could see what was really going on. The light came on, he was illuminated and went, I can't believe that I'm living this way. Maybe my dad's not as bad as I thought he was. Maybe it was better in my house than I thought it was. Maybe he actually did love me. He, he came to his senses. He came to himself. And then, have you ever had to have a hard conversation with somebody? Maybe you had to fire somebody. Maybe you had to, um, you just had to have a hard conversation. Maybe you're quitting a job. But whatever it is, you don't just walk into it and wing it and hope it works out. You, you rehearse it. You think about it. What am I going to say? What's this going to look like? And I can imagine this young man on his long walk back home rehearsed what he was going to say over and over and over because he didn't know how his dad would respond. So I can imagine him all the way home working through what he's going to say. <clears throat> hello, hello, sir. You know, like, go, okay. Mm, dad, you know, like, what am I going to say? What is this going to look like? And one of the things he said that I, I think he probably nailed into his memory was this, this two sentences, where he, or three sentences, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I can imagine him saying this over and over and over and over again, getting ready for this interaction with his father. And so verse 20 says he sets out. He arose and came to his father. So he sets out to go home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. 
and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they, they began to celebrate. And I love this because this is a beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father. And what we see here are a few things I want us to point out. We see number one, it says, while he was a long way off. So what we know here is that either this son was incredibly lucky that this father happened to look up and see him in the distance. And again, there's a little conjecture here, but, but I'm imagining a different scenario. I'm imagining a father who longs so badly for a restored relationship with his son that I think every day he would walk out. He'd be standing on the porch and look off on the horizon, look in the direction that his son left and gaze at the horizon waiting for the day his son would come home. That it wasn't luck, it wasn't happenstance, it wasn't coincidence. He was waiting for that boy to walk over the horizon and come home. It says when he saw him, he had compassion for him. He wasn't angry, he wasn't mad, he didn't tell him about all he had lost. He had compassion for him. And it says he ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. This tells me that this father loved his son. Now remember the circumstance of this son. The son was coming back and he was probably filthy. He'd been living literally in a pig pen. He had nothing. He was gross, he was disgusting, but yet the father didn't go, it's so good to see you. I'm not gonna hug you yet because you got some stank on you, okay? But let's get you washed up and then I'm gonna hug you. I'm gonna love you. No. He said, I'm gonna hug you in your stink, if I can say it like that. In your filth, I don't care. I'm gonna embrace you. I'm gonna pull you close. I'm gonna give you a kiss on the cheek and tell you how much I love you. Then he brings his servants and he says, hey guys, get this guy a robe, and he doesn't just say, get him a robe, does he? He said, get him the best robe. Because I'm pragmatic, and for me, I'm thinking, uh, hey, let's get him a robe, but not the really nice one, because if, if he's a little funky, right? Like, we don't want to get the best robe messy. Let's be real. We don't have very many best robes, right? What does he say? Get the best robe and put it over him. Now, this is important. It does a couple things. Now, we're not talking about the son who stayed behind. The older son stayed behind, worked, he was faithful. He had an inheritance that he didn't take already, okay? So he was the next in line. See, the best robe belongs to the oldest son. <laughs> He's agreeing with me. He's good. See, the best robe belonged to the oldest son. That was his inheritance. But what the father said is, bring the best robe and what the servants understood and what the son would understand is the robe that belongs to the oldest son and bring it here and put it on the youngest son. And your sense of fairness is pushing back on that right now. You're going, wait a second, that's not right. You're right, it's not right. It's not fair. But he says, put the best robe on my youngest son because he was dead, now he's alive. So put this robe on him. And this is what God does for us. We come to him in our filth, in our junk, with our mess, with our issues, with our baggage, and we come to him and he doesn't go, wow, it's so good to see you. I'm so glad you're here. Just keep a little distance from me, okay? Can, can you just give me a little space because you're a little stinky? No, our Heavenly Father goes, come, come here. Come here. Come here. He embraces us and he kisses us on the cheek. And he says, hey, go get the best robe. And he covers us. He covers our sin. He wants to make sure that we don't see who we are, but we see who our covering is. And he says, you have the best robe. 
the inheritance that belonged to somebody else belongs to you. And he doesn't stop there. It says that they put a ring on his finger. Uh, we see this several times in the Old Testament that, um, that when we see Joseph was one of the times. He became second in command under Pharaoh in Egypt and Pharaoh gave him his signet ring. And the signet ring represented authority. It represented a place of power. It represented affection in some ways. And so what we see here is this father is saying to the son, hey, you have an inheritance, but now you have an authority. You have a place. Your sin, previous sin, doesn't disqualify you from a seat at the table. So now you have a ring for your hand because this ring represents that you are mine, that you have authority, that you have a place. And that's what he does for us. And then he said, let's get some shoes on those feet because he was barefooted. In scripture, a person that was barefoot typically was a slave. And so what the father is saying is, hey, hey, you're no slave, you're my son. I'm gonna prove it by putting shoes on your feet. It's interesting because when the son came home, remember, I can imagine him rehearsing those lines over and over and over. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Allow me to serve as a servant in your home. But did you notice when he came back, he goes through his lines, he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father didn't even let him finish. Did you notice that? He said, no, 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 no. Hey, it's almost like he's not paying attention. Hey, guys, bring the robe. Bring the ring. Get the shoes on his feet. And what he's saying is, this is no servant. This is no hired hand. This is my son. This is the son who rebelled, who severed relationship, who forfeited his inheritance, who squandered it in a foreign country. He's my son. And I'm restoring him to a place of authority. I'm restoring his inheritance. Because listen to this. Um, this. The older son was ticked. Can you imagine, right? He says, wait a second. I've been here working and you give my inheritance to him? And this is interesting because Jesus knows his audience. And what he's doing is he's telling this group of Jewish believers who, if we can say it this way, were the firstborn of God. They were his chosen people. They rejected Christ. And so what happened is then the floodgates were opened to non-Jewish people. And so what Jesus is telling this group of Jewish believers is, hey, the oldest son who deserved the inheritance didn't get the inheritance because the father gave it to the ones who didn't deserve it, the ones who were stinky, the ones who were rebellious, the ones who had run. See, the good news for you today and the good news for me is that we are the prodigals. We are the ones who didn't deserve the inheritance. We are the ones who left and came back. We are the ones who did not deserve to be a, a son, who don't, do, does not deserve to be uh, in a place of authority or power or sonship, but God in his graciousness brings us in. He covers us. He gives us a ring. He puts shoes on our feet. He helps us understand our identity in him. And this is who our heavenly father is. So maybe you're here today and your father was not the best. Maybe you're still dealing with issues from your father. I'm telling you today, our heavenly father is nothing like that. You don't have to perform for him. You don't have to earn his love. You don't have to worry if he's mad at you. He's crazy about you. <laughs> when my girls were little, I haven't done it much lately. 
think they're getting too big for it. But when my girls were little, they'd be sitting in my lap and I would hold their face and I'd pull them real close to me and I'd say, Daddy is crazy about you. And I still tell them that. I just don't squeeze their cheeks and pull them close to me anymore. <laughs> but I can imagine our Heavenly Father in the midst of this story, in the midst of our filth and our junk and our rebellion, pulling us close to him and holding our face and looking us right in the eye and saying, I am crazy about you. Because that's the God we serve. That's our Heavenly Father. Let me read one more passage to you. It's from Romans chapter 8, verse 19. Now listen to this. It says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth the comparing or worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Um, my girls, 15 and 12, it's been a while, but um, the day they were born, we went to the hospital and there was, there was a group of people waiting in the waiting room. And maybe you have a similar story. People waiting for the birth of this child. We knew the gender. We knew the girls were going to be girls. We knew their names already. Right? We had the rooms painted. We were ready, right? We had everything prepped ahead of time. Um, so there wasn't many surprises. But there was still that moment where I got to come to see the family and say, I want to introduce you to my daughter. Because it wasn't even as much about my daughter as it was about me as a father showing pride. Hey, let me show you my daughter. Let me introduce you to my little girl. And what this passage says to us is that uh, all of creation is longing and eagerly anticipating the day that, that the sons of God are revealed. It's almost as if our heavenly father is waiting on us to come home so that, so that he can go, hey, 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 creation, I want to introduce you to my son. Oh, I'm so proud of him. He doesn't bring up the fact that we rebelled. He doesn't bring up the fact that we did some, some stuff, that we made some mistakes, that we squandered our fortune, nothing. You know what he says? Look at my son. Oh, I love him. I want you to meet him today. That's how he feels about us. That's who he is. Over the next few weeks, we're going to walk through this, this idea. Um, God spoke audibly twice. And once was in regards to Jesus' baptism, and once was in regard to the Mount of Transfiguration. And both times he said similar things. He said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. So what we're going to do is just kind of unpack what does that mean? He was speaking about Jesus, but as a heavenly father, what does that mean for us? What does that look like for us? And so we're going to walk through that over the next few weeks, but this is what I want you to know today. No matter what your earthly dad has been like, or is like, or was like, your heavenly father is good. So you might be here today and you feel broken and you feel hurt and disappointed by the relationship with your dad, but I'm telling you today, there's no reason to feel that way about your heavenly father. He's here today, he loves you, and he's for you. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you are a good father, that we can trust you, that no matter what kind of issues we have with our earthly dad, you are good. So God, I pray that the blinders that we've had about who you are would begin to be stripped off us. God, the misperceptions we have about who you are because of our own experience, Lord, let those be torn down. And I pray as we see you for who you really are, it would change everything in our life. 
God, as we have this moment like the prodigal son did where he came to himself, he came to his senses, God, I pray that you'd help us come to our senses and see you for who you really are. God, I pray for those that are here that don't know you, that aren't in relationship with you. I pray today would be the day of salvation and today would be the day of, of surrender and renewal for them that they would be able to, uh, be able, be able to come home like the son did to his father. Help them see that this is a picture of how you greet us, that you will run to us and throw your arms around us and welcome us and love us in spite of us. God, help us see our identity is found only in you. No matter what we've done or how far we've run, we are still a child of God when we surrender our lives to you. I pray for those that are here that are going to heaven, that are Christians, but they just struggle with their view of who you are. I pray that you would give them eyes to see how good a father you really are today. Now, with nobody looking around, I just want to ask if you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm not really serving God, I'm not really in relationship with Christ, but I know I need to be. I want to surrender my life today. <laughs> I want to know what it's like to be loved by the Father like that. So if that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you come forward. I'm just going to pray with you where you're at. Would you be bold enough, if that's you, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it and put your hand back down and say, pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. I want to surrender my life to him. Thank you. I see you back there. Who else would say, pray for me, Mel. Today, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Thank you. Yeah, a couple hands on my left. I see you. Thank you, sir. You can put your hand down. Praise God. Who else would join these and say, pray for me, Mel. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. I want to come home to my heavenly Father today. Okay. Whether you raised your hand or not, I'd like you to say this prayer with me out loud. Say, dear Jesus... Thank you for loving me, and thank you for paying the price for my sins on the cross. Today, I'm coming home. Take my life and use it for your glory. Forgive me of my sins and help me live a life that shows people how good you are. From this day forward, I am yours, and you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it today, Scripture tells us that you're a new creation, and we want to help you with this new life. We want to help you take the next step. And so the simplest way to do that is by filling out the card that's in the seat back in front of you. Uh, on one side it says need prayer, on the other side it says salvation. If you'll fill out the side of the card that says salvation, and just simply drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today, we're going to help you take the next step. If you're watching online or maybe you're here, but you can't reach one of the cards, you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're going to reach out to you. We're going to help you take the next step and grow in your faith. And if you're watching here in the Indiana area, we'll get you connected here. If you're watching somewhere throughout the United States or even the world, we're going to help you find a life-giving church in your area that you can begin to grow in and be in godly community with. So again, thank you for worshiping with us today. Here's what's going to happen now. 
The worship team's gonna lead us in one more song. We're gonna sing together. While we're singing, our prayer team is gonna come up. They'll be on either side of the stage. So if you need prayer for any reason at all, while we're singing, step out from your seat, find one of our prayer team members, and let them pray with you today. And when we finish singing just a moment, Steph McCoy is our missions and outreach director. She's gonna come and uh, she's gonna close us out and dismiss us in just a moment. And I wanna encourage you at the very end of our worship experience today, we do have a video from one of our ministry partners in a sensitive part of the world. So we're gonna cut the live stream for some of you here in just a minute. But, uh, but for those of you here in the room, stick around. You wanna see that from one of our ministry partners. So why don't you stand to your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together one more time before we go today. And guys, I hope you know this. I tell you often, I love you more than you know. And I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.